And we're off. I bet BK is not at his computer right now because the balloons are not showing up on my screen as I begin another two hours with Jeff Howe. Jeff, great to talk to you again. We just we had it for a little bit on Tuesday. This is a full two hours now, and uh, you and I have not touched base up to this point. So it is going to be a potpourri <laughs> of topics, both sports and non. We've got the three o'clock on Friday, so we're kind of the last couple of guys in the office. Everybody's gone home for the weekend, and I don't know. We're burning bags of dog poo in the building and getting people to step on it and whatnot. So yeah, it sounds like the uh, the emergency crew at ARN for the deep freeze a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, you, were, you weren't part of that, were you? No, God, no. They okay. asked me to. They asked me to come to that. I was like, you guys are out of your freaking minds. I've got a young family at home and. I don't necessarily value the whole live radio and a, a catastrophe bit. Like people uh, have phones and tablets and things that help keep them in tune with what's going on. Yeah. And so I don't think live radio has the value that it once did in emergency situations. And then on top of that, nobody was even able to broadcast for like, two or three days afterwards because the power was completely shut off in the building. And then the plumbing went down. So it was just pancake pancakes stacking up in the bathroom. It was, mm. it was rough, man. Well, there's going to be pancakes stacking up in the porta pots at Zilker park this weekend, Jeff, with the ACL festival. How about that transition? The ACL festival going on once again. Now you don't strike me as a big music festival guy. Am I I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a, an occasional concert guy. The mu I'm out on the music festival I, at 40. There's a lot better ways I'd spend a Saturday than sweating my ass off out in a field. Yeah, even if the temperatures are decent, just being surrounded by a boatload of random people, many of whom don't give a damn about whatever band or show you're there to see, <laughs> it's just obnoxious on top of claustrophobic. But you do like the occasional concerts you just mentioned. Do you mm -hmm. have a favorite all-time show that you attended? Favorite all-time show? um, Probably because of his store, just for me, historic implications when jay-z played the Irwin center what was that 2009 that would probably be it for me yeah way too many people on this channel who are mentioning Irwin center shows as their favorite all-time shows hey i went to a lot of stuff in the Irwin center trey you know you your white trash rite of passage i did monster truck rallies and wrestling at the Irwin center many times Throw a little uh, arena football in there too. Arena football, uh, Ringling Brothers. I'm sure Sesame Street Live when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I went to church at the Irwin Center one time. So I did, uh, did my fair share of things at the old drum. What do you mean by church at the Irwin Center? Was there then, actually a Sunday service at the Irwin Center for it a while? Was, uh, it, it, I mean, it had to have been an Easter Sunday. Yeah, I would think it was an Easter Sunday mm. service at the Irwin Center. It was like Pope John Paul in town or something? No, it was uh, that was when I was going to Austin Stone, and the surprise was Rick Barnes actually led the uh, led the congregation that morning. Oh my God! Did lightning strike the pulpit? Uh, Rick, Rick had already Rick had already made that change though at that point, you know. Rick oh, I, I didn't hear I didn't hear about the change. I was out of town when Rick made the change. Yeah, so, that would that would probably been about huh? 2011, 12 ish, somewhere around there. But well, the, the church service was two thousand. Gosh, now I'm trying to remember what year Rick was gone. I want to say this was maybe 2014. Okay. Some, somewhere in there. 
What inside of the change? Uh, don't recall. Okay. I didn't think we'd be going down the Rick Barnes religion rabbit hole on this show. but Yeah, well, that's what happens when you start talking about shows at the Irwin Center. Like, I went to two concerts at the Irwin Center that I can think of, and both shows were okay. Kelly Clarkson with a girlfriend some, gosh, 16, 17 years ago, back when Kelly Clarkson was hot <laughs> and she was fresh on the scene. And then Foo Fighters and Weezer. And I had floor tickets for that one, which was okay, but it's just, that was such a cavernous place to watch anything basketball, obviously, but live music, especially like BK talked about going and seeing Tom Petty perform for the final time in Austin before his untimely death. And I'm sure that show was fine. And in retrospect, you're glad that you got to go see him at least once if you're a big Tom Petty fan, but that sh- shows at that place basketball too. Sometimes felt uh, left a lot to be desired. Felt like you were a mile away watching it. Go go ahead. Felt like you were a mile away watching it. Yeah, like even on the floor, just you know, it felt like I don't know. It just it, it didn't have the intimacy that I am looking for when uh, some random person is walking up to my door right now. Hopefully my dogs don't start to bark. Just doesn't have the intimacy that I'm looking for out of a live show. Whether you're talking about live music or stand-up comedy, I prefer something that is a smaller venue because you can get a better... There we go. There we go. You got Jehovah's Witness at the door or what? Yeah, it just looks like a solar panel guy or something. I don't know. Uh, Maybe a... uh... All right, we get it. Hush. Um, yeah, so like, you know, even going and seeing stand up comedy at like the Paramount Theater, the Paramount Theater is obviously a historic venue. They just celebrated their 108th birthday, I believe. But like, if you're not near the front for a stand up show at the Paramount, it feels like you're in the upper deck of Bass Concert Hall in a way because you're, you're not close enough to really feel what's going on with the show. Yeah. Because that's my convoluted opinion of things. So you you want something something between the Irwin Center and like uh like the old emos, like a club where it's like nut to butt and you're you walk through the door and you can like touch the stage with your hand. You want something in between. Old emos is perfect. Oh, really? Okay. Jake Jake says he saw Chappelle at the American Airlines Center when he was touring a couple months ago. I'm sure it was a fine show, but I saw Dave Chappelle back in the late 90s at the Dallas Improv. And unless I get to see him at Rogan's Comedy Club at some point, like nothing's going to come close to that. Even yeah. though Chappelle wasn't nearly what he was now, obviously, he was still freaking hilarious back then. And, you know, we are fortunate in this town when you want to talk specifically about comedy because Austin has suddenly become a stand-up mecca. With, I've noticed that. Yeah. Like a lot of... And I, this was even this was even before the Rogan deal. Yeah, no, you're right about that because Creek in the Cave had moved from New York City down to Austin. Cap City Comedy Club opens back up. People, the uh, Helium Comedy people, who are based out of Philadelphia and have done a really good job with comedy clubs all across the country, bought the naming rights and then built a brand new club mm-hmm. in the domain, and it's a really nice venue too. Like Creek in the Cave is more like the CrossFit gym of comedy clubs. The AC never works. It uh, feels a little <laughs> bit dingy in there, but they also have a lot of hilarious shows too. And you still have places like the Velveeta Room, 
uh, Vulcan Gas Company became a premier stand-up comedy spot for a while. They'll st- they're still bringing talent in. And with Rogan opening the club that he did in the old Alamo Ritz space on Dirty Sixth, like Austin is up there now with New York City, L.A., and Chicago in terms of places to go to watch really good world-class stand-up comedy. Yeah, I was uh, Jake in the chat mentioned something. The old Chappelle stuff, like killing them softly for what it's worth. That was, man, that stuff got me through college watching the old the old Chappelle stuff. Killing them softly. That was the, we definitely saw some bits that he was still working on at that Dallas Improv show for killing them softly. Cause that's, I'm with you guys. That's one of my all time favorite stand up sets. Yeah. You know what? Uh, my, my wife, my wife's not a big concert person. The one thing I can get her to go to, though, is the occasional comedy show. But it usually ends up, we end up going to San Antonio. But there's a, there, there's a lot of comics I like. My wife's not a big fan of. Where are you at on female comics, Trey? It just depends on the female comic. Okay. Like I'm, I'm in the, uh, the BK category where he is on the record as saying women aren't funny. <laughs> uh, I definitely don't go that far. But, uh, no, it, it really just depends on the individual. Same with male comics, too, yeah. by the way. Like, whatever it is that you're saying... If you're throwing some fucked up ideas out there, you've got some good misdirection going on. I'm going to give you credit. You're going to get my laugh. Yeah. Um, my wife's not big on the female comics, but I, I enjoy Taylor Tomlinson. I think Taylor Tomlinson's good. I think hilarious. Eliza, I think Eliza Schlesinger is hilarious. Big fan. Um, She's from Dallas. Oh, is she really? Yeah. She went to Greenville High or Greenville High School. I had no Green, idea. Green Hill, that's what it is. The all-female Catholic school, I believe. Oh, okay. I had no idea. This um, Jesuit. So, uh, we went. I was trying to think of who we went and saw. The the we we saw we went and saw Kevin James when he was in San Antonio. Uh, one of the last ones we saw Burt Kreischer when he was coming through. I don't know why we usually end up going to the shows in San Antonio, but it, San Antonio usually ends up being the spot. I don't know. I don't know. Just scheduling wise, it works out that way. Most comedians can't get away with telling the same closing joke for years on end, but Burt Kreischer has carte blanche <laughs> to end every stand-up set with the machine story. hundred percent. He has to. And he's also now tied to taking his shirt off before every show for the rest of his life too. Yeah. I, I kind of, I get the bit. That's one that I, I just wonder if he's kind of over that bit. Oh, he is. I heard him talk about it on Rogan. He's he's completely done with it. But he's like, if I try and go out there with my shirt on, people will heckle me until I take my shirt off. <laughs> like that's how dead set people are to watch that guy perform without a shirt on. I don't get it necessarily, but he's carved that niche out for himself. Yeah. Like no, nobody else can get away with taking their shirt off before they start a stand up set. Because people are going to say that they're just ripping off Burt Kreischer. My brother actually got me hooked on the uh, the Two Bears One Cave podcast. Oh my god! He and Tom Segura. He and Tom. Tom does a really good podcast with his wife Christina P. Called your mom's house too. Uh, yeah, that that whole group and Tom and Christina P. Live in Austin now. Like that's the other thing about Austin becoming really? a wow. Uh, you, you have some world class killers living in the city now. Tony Hinchcliffe may be the funniest guy in the city right now. He's a part of the Austin comedy scene. Ron White is the OG of the current Austin comedy scene. Mm-hmm. He's the big reason why Rogan moved here to begin with. Guys like Brian Simpson. Really? I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, Ron White. He is supposedly retired from doing stand-up. I saw that, yeah. 
mostly because he doesn't want to travel around the country anymore. He just wants to hang out and play golf. And even though he's sober now, he's got a tequila that he promotes, but he's retired except at the comedy mothership. Apparently he'll just contact Rogan on a random day, say, Hey, you mind if I stop by the club? And he's like, of course. And he shows up. <laughs> this is according to Rogan, like tripping on psychedelics. And he just gets, on, <laughs> get, just gets on stage and kills. Even if he's oh, high on LSD. Man. I know people have their opinions of like the blue collar guys. Ron White is freaking hilarious, man. Ron White. And some of those guys were okay. Like the here's your sign bit got old pretty fast, but Jeff Foxworthy was really funny at a point in time. I'm sure he probably is still funny. Oh, there's a guy I could do without Ron White was head and shoulders above the rest of those guys. If you look, if I've got some, uh, if I've got a bin in my mom's storage shed still, you'll find a Jeff Foxworthy tape or CD in there somewhere. Yeah, well, the show that he had back in the uh, mid-1990s, that was a funny show, too. Man, forgot about that one. I don't know why. God, I can I can specifically remember watching that show at a friend's place that I've completely lost touch with because he moved after our freshman or sophomore year in high school. Mark Messina was his name. Which I always found cool because it was so close to Mike Messina. Mike Messina was, Hall, Hall of Fame pitcher. Yeah, I was obsessed with sports back then. But I just remember watching that show at his house for some reason. And his family was from New York. The reason I realized, or one of the reasons I realized Fox really was funny is that these, these hardened New Yorkers were actually laughing at his redneck shtick. <laughs> and maybe it was la- more laughing at him than with him sort of right. thing. But he was also right. doing funny stuff on that sitcom too. Um. Anything else you want to get into, Trey, sports-wise? Or I'm cool just talking comedy and whatnot and just letting it letting it fly. We're like the happy hour. It's like I said, we're like the happy hour show. We're getting you into the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Look, we'll talk sports at some point. We can talk sports right now. I mean, you know, you talked about comedians that your wife isn't all that crazy about that you do like. Mm-hmm. Is, like, are there any specific female comedians or any other male comedians that you're a big fan of that she could do without? Um, really just my wife, my wife and BK might have a lot in common. And for the sense that my wife just thinks female, the one exception, the, I think the one female comic, actually there's two, uh, Tiffany Haddish and Allie Wong are the two female comics. My wife enjoys, she can pretty much leave everybody else. I haven't seen Haddish perform stand up. Ali Wong is hilarious. So I actually inter- I interviewed her at South by Southwest this last year. She's really short. Yeah. Um, but I interviewed her for the Netflix series Beef that she co-starred in. But she is funny. And she's also on that list of people that Amy Schumer stole ideas from. Like I don't know if she stole really? a specific bit, but Ali Wong was the first one to do the uh the recorded stand-up special while extremely pregnant and then like a year or two later amy schumer does the same thing so as far as comedians who are thieves like i think the most infamous one speaking of rogan like when rogan called out carlos mencia that that had to be like 20 years ago at this point right it's a long time ago that would have been uh i think it's a little bit closer to 15 because it, it was 2008 or 2009 that he did that and effectively stopped working at the comedy store for like three or four years until Ari Shafir 
recorded one of his first stand-up specials in like 2012 or 2013. So at that point he went back and then slowly worked his way back into the comedy store crowd. So in terms of comics that are famous for stealing, stealing bits, I mean, it's been seeing Dane cook, right? Cause I know Dane cook always got accused of stealing people's stuff. Uh, yeah. I, you're right about that. I don't know specifics about Dane cook stealing bits. The, Biggest thing for me with Dane Cook is that he was very high energy, but very low substance in terms of the words coming out of his mouth. So it was almost like Sam Kinison. If Sam Kinison was feeling more to the lowest common denominator, because Sam had some really smart stuff too, even though obviously people associate him with uh, just a lot of screaming. I don't, I don't know why, but every now and then when I'm on YouTube and you've got the list of like, you, you might be interested in this. The bit where Sam Kennison's talking about the people in Africa wouldn't be starving if they just left the desert and moved where the food was. I end up watching that deal at least once a week because I'm like, you know what? I just need to I just need to hear Sam Kennison just insanely screaming about something. So silly. We uh one of my buddies in college told us that uh his mom actually went to a Sam Kennison show and uh he ended up sitting on her lap. So every now and then when we were drinking. We'd be like, hey, tell that story about your mom. Uh, you know, Sam Kinnison is sitting on your mom's lap and just like yelling at her uncontrollably. Like we, of course, like we expanded the bit. Like, yeah, you like that? You like that, Connie? <laughs> Sam wasn't a small guy either. That no, actually hurts. No. So we, that was, a, that was a bit that we had fun with for a good two, good two years. Oh, Cooter, AKA Steve from Pest Wranglers. Mitch Hedberg, that is all. That's the comment. Yes, Mitch yeah. Hedberg. I never really got into Mitch Hedberg. See, he was the king of misdirection. And also just one joke after another, man. It was just like, he was such a quick hit hitter. He never yeah. really told stories. He just, his stories were two sentences long and they would leave crowds howling. And unfortunately his, his demons yeah. caught up with him way too soon in life. You know, somebody else who's a, a joke thief or a notorious joke thief, or at least was, I don't even know if he does stand-up comedy anymore at this point because he went more into acting. Uh, Dennis Leary. Really? Yeah. Joke thief? Wow. One of Sam Kinison's best friends, Bill Hicks, had some bits that Dennis Leary straight up swiped, including his uh, his some of the smoking stuff that he became really well-known for through the MTV commercials, mm -hmm. or the MTV promos. I forget what they were exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he was, it wasn't verbatim, but it was pretty close. Like the, just what he was talking about versus similar things that Bill Hicks had said and put on video or tape that it seems pretty obvious in retrospect that he stole from, as a matter of fact, Carlos Mencia, he stole from Ari Shafir to bring things full circle. And so when Joe Rogan went back to the comedy store, he went to go see Ari Shafir, who Carlos Mencia had stolen an immigration joke from, too. Well, the funny thing about Mencia, by the way, very similar to Larry the Cable Guy here. Boy, we're, we're going to go down a dark hole with me and talking. Go, stand -up go for it. Go for Larry it. Larry the Cable Guy, there is video of him first trying stand-up, and he was a frat boy at Nebraska. Yeah. And so he didn't have the, the blue-collar worker getting up on stage for an open mic feel to him i mean he had like the sweater vest going on and he had the preppy hair and a, a very different overall vibe for larry the cable guy or lawrence kellner whatever the fuck he called himself <laughs> back then but uh carlos mencia 
he played up the whole he played up the uh the whole being mexican thing like that yeah. was a big part of his shtick but he wasn't even mexican yeah it, it's it's different when you when you can get away with being a character for your bit yeah playing a role uh you can't get away with switching nationalities that's uh that's a tough one no when your parents are from honduras or guatemala i forget what it was honduras yeah and you were born stateside thank you for that and you were born stateside like it doesn't uh if people find that out then all of a sudden what you've been talking about uh is not nearly as relevant because you are just playing a character but you, you are representing yourself as if it were real life there's actually a daily show correspondent who's getting dragged right now because he was essentially telling stories about his life on stage as a stand-up and representing it as the truth in terms of a lot of racist stuff that he deal with dealt with Hassan Minaj, I think is his name. And it's been learned that it's mostly made up. Like he was lying to people for a lot of years that he actually went through some of these horrific events that he's finding a way to turn into a, uh, a weird sort of positive because he can make jokes about it after the fact. Dang, that's, uh, that's rough. That's rough. I like, uh, who said it in the chat? Uh, sorry, I got 95 windows open. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jake Rodney Carrington is the people's guitar playing comedian. Another guy I saw in San Antonio. I don't know who Rodney Carrington is. Is he funny? Um, it's the, uh, it's in kind of the blue collar guy's vein, but not that he's more on the Ron white side than the, uh, the Larry, the cable guy. Okay. Billing vault. Foxworthy side. Hmm. Jake says Jimmy Carr is today's king of one-liners. He was actually at the Paramount last weekend. Heard good things. I've never actually seen a stand-up before. And then CB says Jamie Foxx and Tommy Davidson had great stand-up specials in the early 90s. Tommy Davidson is a DC guy like Chappelle and many others are. DC's, the comedians that have come out of Washington, DC is insane. Like per capita, that may be a top two or three all-time stand-up roots city, Washington, D.C. And then Jamie Foxx, I wish, now I don't know what his current condition is, but I wish Jamie had stuck with the stand-up comedy a little bit more over the years. He's obviously one of the best impressionists around, but yes, his stand-up back in the 1990s was also really good. Um, among the com- comedians from Washington, D.C., you've got Louis C.K., Dave Chappelle, Whitney Cummings, and a gas dire. So, yeah, that's not a bad, it's not a bad list. Yeah, let's see. Tony Woods is on that list. Donnell Rawlings is a D.C. guy. Um, there's some, somebody else, too, that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Yeah, no, it is a, it is a really good list. Louis C.K. was a little bit of a surprise for me. So for some reason, I thought he was either a New Yorker or a Boston guy, but he's D.C. Trey, where are you at on the roast? Do you like watching a good roast? It just depends. Like talking about individual comedians that are really good at that sort of thing. Tony Hinchcliffe is great at it, but my all-time favorite may be Anthony Jeselnik. You know, he's good. My favorite roaster is Ross. no with us. Oh, dude, uh, Greg Giraldo. Oh, yeah. Greg Giraldo was great. He's Kevin's. He may be Kevin's number one all time. And Kevin actually knew him when he lived in. Did he really? Yeah. He knew him when he was in a good place. And then he also saw the unfortunate decline too. Oh man. When the drugs took hold. 
And oh gosh, who was it? He told me, oh, <laughs> funny enough, speaking of Rose, Jeff Ross broke the news to him that Geraldo had overdosed and was in the hospital. Yeah. That's rough, man. That's tough. Really, really talented guy. I think of, of all the roast jokes that he told, I think it was it was during the Hasselhoff roast. And I'll tell the I'll clean it up as much as I can. He told Pamela Anderson that, that she had caused him to spill more seed than Muhammad Ali at a bird feeder. Really stu stuff like, yeah. I mean, who that's you know. He actually it's a roast, after, so you I, I forget how overt he was with it, but he went after Dennis Leary for being a joke thief on Colin Quinn's old show, Tough Crowd, back in the 90s, too. Like Colin, really Colin Quinn, why do I remember Colin Quinn having a couple of shows like that? Or maybe it was just, I don't know, did Tough Crowd change, change networks at one point? I don't remember. I don't remember. I feel like Colin Quinn has had a couple of iterations of shows like that. That was a great idea back in the 90s. That's something we need more of in modern times now. Funny people or people who are able to have a sort of civil debate about an issue. Like when you get a bunch of comedians together, obviously it can be really funny. But just getting people who can have disagreeable conversations about stuff. Yeah. Um the Colin Quinn show only lasted three episodes. Maybe that's an iteration of his TV stuff. Yeah, maybe he just had a couple of different had a couple of different shows. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. But anyway, I digress. So it's a pretty good college weekend, Jeff. You have a number of ranked matchups. Half of those are from the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 is the best conference this year. Conference of Champions. Conference of Champions for one more year, and then it's going to just be the uh, misnamed Mountain West Conference starting next season. But the big game tomorrow is Oregon at Washington. A couple of Heisman candidates at quarterback for each of these teams. Bo Nix, who's been in college football forever, started at Auburn with the Ducks these last couple of years. And another guy who has been with a couple of different schools, Michael Penix Jr., starts out at Indiana, was really good at Indiana one year, gets hurt the next year, unfortunately, and then does transfer to Washington. And this is an evenly matched game. I think uh, Washington a slight favorite, according to Vegas right now, because of the home field advantage. But I'm excited about this one. I think this is going to be a good game down to the wire. And even though I picked Oregon to win the game with BK a little bit earlier, ultimately I think Washington does have enough of an edge on both sides of the ball to come out victorious. That's an underrated home environment, too. Husky Stadium. It's it's kind of like what Baylor tried to do with McLean, kind of put it there next to a body of water and hmm. get the whole sailgating experience. But I don't know. It's the way – and I've never been to a game there, but I, I went by there uh, when I was in Seattle a few years ago. It's probably been about 10 years ago now, actually. But the, kind of the way it just it's built up and then, you know, the way the the, the, the coverings on the, on the stadium kind of drape over so the sound reverberates back down almost – um, I've heard it can get pretty loud there. So it, it, it I think that is a really underrated home environment, man. I, I just like Washington just cause I, I was so impressed with them. Uh, especially their line of scrimmages, lines of scrimmage, uh, in the bowl game against Texas. I know you can only take so much from bowl games, but they were much better up front than I thought they would be. 
and we know they're we know they're going to put up uh, a bunch of yards. We know they're going to put up a bunch of points. I mean, I, I'm really glad too. This is happening with Kalen DeBoer because when you know when Tom Herman was, uh, we knew he was going to hunt for an OC after that 2019 season. Uh, DeBoer was the name. Just looking at what he did at IU, I'm like, man, that that could work at Texas. Kind of some of his. His philosophy, how he feels about offense, it would work, especially with the personnel Texas had at the time. He just ended up getting the, the head job at, at Fresno State, and now he's at Washington. So I, I think he's a hell of a football coach, but I, I'll take Washington to win this game. So somebody at, on the Texas side needs to talk to the Washington AD to uh, learn how to keep from that unfortunate head coach hire death spiral that <laughs> happens at so many places, including here in Austin. Now we feel good about Steve Sarkeesian. But unfortunately, from the end of the Mac Brown era, up until this year, really, because we still didn't know a Steve Sarkeesian after two years, you felt like things were going in a good direction. Yeah. Now it does seem like he does have it back on track, back to the glory days of the 2000s, as the, uh, yeah. the kids like to say. But that could have gone really sideways for Washington, too, because of just how poorly the Jimmy Lake hire turned out to be. Man, that was so bad. I, it was shocking. I thought Jimmy Lake would be... Uh, a, a good way to keep that continuity going from Chris Peterson, especially after he gets the ringing endorsement from Pete Kwiatkowski a year or two before he's named the head coach, where Kwiatkowski literally allowed a code DC tag to be slapped on his title to keep Jimmy Lake around because he's yeah. like, this guy's good. We want to keep him around. And so he shows how big of a team guy he is in that situation. Not only was he not a great coach on the field, a little bit abusive too when it comes down to it. And ultimately, what, he only lasted a couple of seasons in uh, 2020, and he was fired nine games into the 2021 season. Jeez. Yeah. Um. As a matter of fact, I did not know this, Trey. He is the assistant head coach for the Rams now. Oh, okay. I love I love that UW, how many games did they play in 2020? They played four games, and they get credit for a Pac-12 North Division championship. What? How many teams, won, how many teams in the Pac-12 won either division in 2020? See, like Colorado, Colorado won the South, but I think the South was split several different ways. Let me see if I can locate this. Uh, and no, uh, Cooter, I, I said on the text line, I'm not using Windows 95. I'm operating Safari and Firefox on this thing. So we're, we're good. In terms of my browsers, I'm on whatever the latest edition of the Mac OS is. So you had, yeah, so you had Washington win the North. With a three and one record, he had Oregon at four and two play the playing the championship game because Washington had COVID issues and had to back out. Oh my gosh! You had the same thing in the South. USC was five and zero oh in conference. They ended up having COVID issues, and Colorado ended up in the. Or no, actually, I'm sorry. Take that back. USC played in the championship game. They couldn't go to the bowl because of COVID issues. So that's how Colorado at three and one ended up playing Texas in the Alamo Bowl. And man, dude, Trey, you didn't go to that bowl game, did you? Hell no. Didn't didn't waste the gas money going to San Antonio? Dude, I will never. Sorry, Texas fans, if this upsets you, I will never go to another Alamo Bowl game. I hate watching sports in that stadium. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. Um, Watching Colorado and Texas next to each other, I'm like, this is like somebody sent their JV to scrimmage the varsity. Like it was, and Texas kicked the shit out of them too. Yeah. 
or once Texas woke up, which I guess it took, you know, Sam dinging his shoulder for them to wake up. But oh, and that, <laughs> right. that it, was the Casey Thompson game. That and decide, you know what? Um, it's running back, freshman running back we've got is pretty good. Let's just keep giving him the football. <sighs> yeah, that was the most frustrating part of Sark's. Wait, was no, that was Tom Herman's that was, last year. That was that was, that was the most frustrating part. And I think just the the last straw for Tom Herman. No, it had nothing to do with any purchases at Kendra Scott. It was just how unwilling he was to use Bijan Robinson. It was very clear that Bijan needed the ball about twice as much as he was getting it up until like the last two or three games of the year where they finally started feeding him the ball more. I think when I was finally off the Tom Herman bandwagon, because I stayed on that thing a lot longer than some other people did, was after the loss to Iowa State, when you kind of knew, okay, this is probably the end, probably the end. Um, he had said something to the effect of, you know, if we can win the rest of our games in our bowl game, the senior class can leave with a, you know, an 800 or better winning percentage. I'm like, when we're using winning percentages as benchmarks for success, you're a blue blood. You got the wrong guy, man. Tom Herman is Mensa. So he understands that you can frame statistics to make something look as good or as bad as you want to. That's like you, you, you've had, you've had, we've all had friends that have been through divorce, right? When one of those arguments that, you know, leads to the divorce starts with one of the, the, the people in the relationship digging up this one random act of kindness that they did like four years ago. Like, see, I did that that one time. What does that matter? That's not, it didn't have anything to do with what we're talking about here. Yeah. That's well, how I felt about Tom Herman trying to champion winning percentages. Yeah. Well, Tom Herman would, uh, would point out one good thing or actually do one good thing. And then he would do five things to completely shit on that. And so any goodwill that's built up, this happened literally from the get go where he would do something and everybody would be really high on the Tom Herman era. Then it's like a week later. Oh Yeah. This guy is a complete asshole. And by the end of his tenure here in Austin, his own players are going to be afraid to say hi to him in the football offices because he's such a jerk. Man, when you're when you're surpassing John Makovic on the list of people that they don't want to have anything to do with you post-tenure, like you, you accomplished something. I don't think it's anything to be proud of, but you accomplished something. At least Makovic could pin part of it on banging his head on the old track that looped around to the, the field of DKR when Tony, when Tony Brackens destroyed him. Yeah. Tom Herman can tell people that he's got back issues from trying to sledgehammer the old locker room because that hurt my back to Man, watch that video. You know, if Makovic would have milked that thing, he could have been Hugh freeze like 20 years before Hugh freeze and, and coaching the game from the hospital bed. Oh, thank goodness that didn't happen. <laughs> thank goodness 1997 happened the way that it did. It's it, like it's like you remember you freeze up there like he's in hospice care, like watching the game from a box, like giving the thumbs up in the bed. I'm like, dude, did you, did you at least get out of the gown for this one? At least throw like a coach's shirt on or something. I know his his players and coaches were treating him like he was a, a sick kid in Iowa before every game, just looking up and giving the wave. Paterno <laughs> did a version of that too at the end of his pin state. Yes, he did. Coached, had to coach the game from the press box. He had yeah. a broken leg or something. He may have had more of a valid excuse because he was a hundred years old and he'd allowed one of his uh top assistants to 
fornicate with kids for so many years. Yeah, dog. Harboring har- harboring pedophilia is just. I mean, you got to draw the line somewhere. I do Trump. think I do think that HBO really screwed up with the retelling of that portion of Joe Paterno's life. They had Al Pacino play Paterno, and he did a fine job. But you really missed out on an opportunity to cast. Um, to, to cast Joe Paterno with a guy that belonged in that Joe Paterno role. Any guesses? Hmm. He no. is from that world. He is from that Martin Scorsese world. Name is also Joe. Joe uh, Pesci. Joe Pesci is like if Joe Paterno <laughs> decided to go into acting unless of, instead of football coaching. <laughs> Especially with how bitter he's apparently become over the years. Pesci is Joe Paterno. I would have, it's hard for me to envision that, but yeah, I I guess that could work. I guess. (laughs) Jake says Danny DeVito. Yeah. And some sort of satire on Joe Paterno's life. I would sign up for that one. Man, I, dude, I'll never forget, man, when that stuff came out, the Sandusky stuff. I remember exactly where I was. I was, Texas had played Texas Tech that day. It was an 11 a.m. game. And I'm I'm driving from uh, the stadium to do a post game with Bucky at the zone. Of course, Bucky doesn't go to the games. Bucky's already in the studio. And I just happened to look at the Twitter machine when I'm on my way in, and I'm seeing all this Penn State stuff. It's all coming through. And I'm like, this, I'm like, this has got to be a joke, right? Like, no, it, it wasn't a joke. And you're thinking, man, I hope this isn't true. And for a lot of different reasons. And it was, dude, that was, was that not wild? I was, when all that Chicago, stuff got uncovered. I was living in Chicago at the time, was completely floored by it. And Chicago's weird because Chicago kind of cares about its college sports, but it's also little pockets of alumni who care about their respective college team, Chicago, and understandably, I guess, because it is a pro sports town as much, or it has the four major professional sports, five, I guess, if you count both baseball teams. Like, it cares much more about pro sports than it does college sports. And so I won't say there was an indifference about it, but it wasn't treated as big of a deal as I felt like it was in the moment. And then ultimately they had to acknowledge uh, just how big of a deal it was. And thankfully... Uh, even the uh, Ben and Jerry's people ultimately realized that having the uh, the Sandusky Blitz flavor was probably not good for sales. And the Sandusky Blitz flavor, as Kevin would Kevin Dunn would point out, speaks to the notion that people at Penn State realized what was going on for a long time. Yeah, have you ever heard the flavor, the Sandusky Blitz flavor? No, enlighten me, <laughs> BK. BK's listening in the background right now. He said Kevin Spacey is Joe Paul. Yeah, that's not a bad idea either. Jeez, it, that's a, that hits a little too close to home, though, man. That's uh... well, well, I think the uh, yeah, yeah. I'll pop oh, you know what? I remember this now. So it was yeah. There's like a, a famous ice cream shop in uh, in Happy Valley. Mm-hmm. That had to. I never. I never knew what the uh, what the ice cream flavor was though. It, it's the creamery Ben and Jerry the i guess ben and jerry they were penn state guys and so there's actually a uh an ice cream flavor creation program oh, at penn man, state they is... have the creamery there oh, so, the, so the sandusky blitz tell me if this isn't 
somebody knowing something over there. Oh, I'm looking at it right now, and that's all kinds of suspicious. Banana flavored ice cream with chocolate covered penis and <laughs> a caramel swirl. Uh, yeah, uh, it's gross. Not good. No, the whole thing is just. Ugh. There's also a peachy paterno flavor. Man, there are there are three things in this in, in America that will make totally rational people act completely irrational: mm-hmm. politics, religion, and college football. Yeah, like just completely just throw everything. Away. But yeah, can can I can I get on a semi serious topic though? Yeah. When when as the Penn State stuff got unearthed and we found out that just that sick stuff actually did happen, and you're like, how could you allow that to happen or have knowledge of it or whatever? Um I I I wondered, like, you know, maybe this is the point now where athletic departments kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and you're more forthright and more transparent with stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And dare I say, Trey, it's actually probably gotten worse since then. Yeah. It's strange. It's like the pendulum swings too far one direction or the other. Yeah. And the whole cancel culture thing got really ridiculous a few years ago. But it does feel like we swung back in the other direction now. Yeah. Uh, as Jake mentions in the chat, Michigan State is one of those schools that's that's been through it. Baylor. The Baylor thing got uncovered after all that stuff happened. Uh, and, and yeah. just go down the list, man. It's, uh, I just don't, I just don't get it, man. The, the fact that powerful people continue to do selfish, just selfish things for their own good without wondering how this is going to impact people. I just, I'll never, I'll never understand it, man. I'll never get it. Power corrupts. I mean, I'm sure I know you've been around it because you and I, both worked at the same place where power had a way of corrupting, but Mm -hmm. I've seen it throughout my life. And sometimes it's in really trivial situations where somebody has a a managerial title and it's like, bro, are you fucking kidding me right now? You think your assistant to the general manager matters (laughs) for shit? Like just because you have that title, you think that you can boss me around authority requires respect. Yeah. To, uh, not only to be able to dole out discipline, but to get pe- your subordinates to do what you want them to do, to try and boss people around just because you have a label in front of your ma- name. Well, sadly, there's a lot of people who play the ass-kissing game and end up in mi- middle management positions, and they play the uh, the job title game too. But those people just turn into dinosaurs. And folks who really lead to either their company or an entire industry to decline because there's these conservative dinosaurs who are all about gatekeeping and basically keeping their job relevant by hiding any relevant information or system information from somebody who might know better, who realizes that they're a complete fraud. And I realize that the, uh, the whole notion of imposter syndrome is a thing for a reason. Like mm-hmm. there are people who fake it till they make it, but there are also people who figure it out and understand the right way to conduct themselves, the right way to lead. And here we go, get back, getting back into leadership now, versus those who who basically kiss ass into a higher position, and then 
if it ever comes up or completely exposed is not knowing what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. It's, you know, a couple things there. Um, the, 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 the title, the title game and throwing your title around is, is the dumb, it's the dumbest damn thing ever. Like a couple of years ago, I got asked, uh, this was a horns 24 seven deal. I got asked, Hey, what, what's your title? I'm like, I don't know. Well, well, don't you think it should, it should be something. I'm like, call me, call me asshole. Number two, if you want, like, I, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. Like just, I just, just make up something. It doesn't like, it doesn't matter. I have a job, a job that I like a job where I respect my boss. My boss respects me. So who cares what title I have? If I'm the senior executive vice president to the, you know, secondary ass wiper or whatever just whatever that is but um i forgot what the second point oh no i remember the second point i was gonna make now i think when i realized that people in power are just gonna do just inexplicable stuff just because they can uh when the cleve bryant stuff came out at texas and i'm like you're mac brown's right hand guy you're Considering how close you are to the football coach, you're arguably the second, third. You're in the top five of the most powerful people on this campus. Why? Why would you throw that away? He had a nice guy reputation too. Like I didn't have any direct interactions with him. I I never did because by the time uh, I was started going around daily in 2010, and Cleve was gone pretty early in that season was when all that stuff came out mm. and I was like, well, I don't, I just did it. But you know, we've seen, I mean, the, the me too movement has shown us that people in power will just do inexplicable stuff just because they can. Uh, I'm not going that far. CB <laughs> good, good riddance. Cleve Bryant. <laughs> Sorry. That's going to upset somebody, but I'm not, I'm not resting in peace. Cleve Bryant. But that was the first time I realized, like, man, that's you to be in that position and then just throw it all away. Like, no, knowing you're doing something that wasn't above board. I don't yeah, know, he's man. a fucking creep. Look, for every for every case of uh, the Aziz Ansari example where he was this woman attempted to railroad him because of next day regret. There are the Harvey Weinstein's of the world, the Kevin yeah. Spacey's of the world where those scumbags deserve to go down. The Jerry Sandusky's of the world to Jerry Sandusky's of the world, the Art Bryles of the world. Like there are a lot of examples of maybe not even always bad people, but I guess, yeah, you're kind of a bad person if you're guilty of some of these things, even if it is more about the power than, than the individual and what their natural inclinations are. Like, I'm sorry, if you do really heinous stuff that has a, a, a terrible impact on the well being of others, other yeah. innocent people, you need to be taken down. Like hey. you're never going to see me feel sympathy for Art Bryles for the shit that he continues to take for what happened at Baylor. You know why that is? It's because he has never shown an ounce of remorse for that. I don't think he's ever apologized publicly, he has, has he? He has always insisted that he was completely innocent, and it's that's bullshit. Yeah, at that best, at best, you were you were negligent. And that no doesn't need to be. Yeah, program, and at worst you were empowering these guys to do that shit. That doesn't need to be a yeah, but apology. That just needs to be a blanket apology. You know, completely agreed. Let's just come out and say it and get it over. Here. I'm going to ask you this though. 
where where do you draw the line uh guys that were coaches staffers whatever in that baylor program where do you draw the line in terms of because every time kendall bryles gets another job this stuff comes up and it seems to happen more with him where do you draw the line of man at some point you deserve you should have the right to have a career but this guy this group of guys maybe they shouldn't be able to to coach i'm trying to, to remember to coach and be around young people was kendall bryles a co-oc at that time mm-hmm. so yeah i mean guys that were on the guys that were on the staff and an official assistant coach capacity those guys needed to sit out a couple of years and as you get higher and higher up those guys probably shouldn't be allowed to mold the lives or be responsible for the lives of young adults so college age on down the fact that art bryles coached high school for a couple of years it's despicable but apparently he was never able to escape the ire of a faction of that community that was disgusted that he was in charge of the uh, the high school players at uh, wherever it was in East Texas that he was the coach. <laughs> Man, when the CFL won't touch you, that's like the that's like the the only fans of <laughs> of the football world. When the CFL's like, nah, nah, dog, we're we're good. Just go ahead and stay over there. Like it's. That's pretty rough, man. Yeah, he he literally had to go coach professionally in Italy. Or it was like a semi-pro league where these guys yeah. were barely barely making it en- making enough to to cover the cost of traveling to wherever the game was. See like okay, so Randy Clements was the offensive line coach uh at Baylor during during that time. Or like Randy Clements is working for Mac Brown now. He's the O-line coach at North Carolina. Uh, and there's quite a few other guys that have been able to, you know, uh, Philip Montgomery got a head coaching job. Yeah. He's a head coach at, was a head coach at Tulsa. Yep. A lot of those guys have been able to find jobs. Uh, but I remember, it, you know, and I guess this is just kind of the, the good old boy network at work, you know, how some of those guys landed on their feet post Baylor. I remember talking to one staffer who was a pretty low level staffer. Um, and he was like, I can't get a job anywhere. Once when people find out that I worked at Baylor, nobody will touch me. Yeah, whereas Jeff Levy is now the coach at OU. I mean, yeah, I I think there is there is a point where the pile on or the pitchforks were a bit excessive. Like I understand why people were outraged when Tom Herman hired Casey Horney mm-hmm. because he was an offensive analyst maybe who helped out with special teams. And then he came it was, and did something it was prim- primarily special teams. So then he came and did something similar in Austin. Like, I don't think he should have been roasted necessarily or should never get a job in football again, because he was at Baylor at the time. He is low enough that regardless of what he knew or maybe even tried to do, like it, it would not have mattered for him. Yeah. But when you get into that official assistant capacity, certainly the coordinators and then obviously the head coach too, like for any of those coordinators, because Jeff Levy was the co-OC at the time. with At the end, yeah, he had, I think he had a co-OC title with uh, with Kendall Broad. Let me see. Um, no, he was the passing game coordinator. So yeah, he was, co- uh, yeah. He was co-OC then. Yeah, so yeah. Th- those guys shouldn't be coaching college anymore. I realize that they are now, but you'll also notice the Kendall Bryles. He doesn't last long at a job. He stays no. in place a year, maybe two, before moving on to the next stop. No, and uh, like it, it's it's weird, you know. I've, I've talked to TCU people who felt like all the goodwill Sonny Dykes built up for the year they had last year, 
basically he incinerated all of that the minute he hired Kendall Bryles. But that that to me, that's more of the the TCU Baylor rivalry and quite frankly, just how much those two institutions and the people that went to those institutions just despise each other. And I was like, man, of all the people you could have hired as an offensive coordinator. Again, this is TCU people telling me this. It's like of all the people he could have hired as an OC. It's like he goes and hires Art Bryles' son. Like that, I know a lot of TCU people that didn't sit really well with. Yeah, and I guess you understand from the rivalry perspective. Now, CB says that Horny deserved the outrage because he was out in front saying Bryles was a victim. Uh, that may very well have been the case. I don't recall that, but I also don't know how many outlets were in Casey Horny's face interviewing him about yeah. Bryles the person either. Yeah, that's getting more down to, like like I said, the low-level staffer that I knew at Baylor who wasn't at Baylor that long, who, you know, just trying to trying to find jobs as a high school coach. Yeah. And when people, when, you know, the superintendent or the AD saw the resume and saw that he worked at Baylor, it's like, no, we're, we're good here. See, I don't have any issue with a, with a high school program being extra cautious with somebody that was a part of that program when all that shit went down. Um, what, oh, yeah. Uh, one, honestly, one of the things that helped Casey Horning in the end was he could have, uh, he could have former Texas players vouch for him. Right. Cause he's a lifetime longhorn. And I know a few that did like, yeah, Casey's a good guy. He said, you know, he didn't know anything that was going on or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's another one of those deals though. It's like, okay, why would you, you know, you're Tom Herman, you just got this job. That goes back Trey, to what, uh, to what you were just talking about uh, a minute ago with, with Tom Herman, where it was like, it, it, it's like two steps forward, two steps back. It's like, Oh yeah, let's, we're excited about this new coach. It's in, and then, you know, can you put together a staff? And then, you know, he hires Tim Beck as his offensive coordinator. It's like, you just hired the, and I like Tim Beck personally, but it's like, at the time it's like, you hired the dude that urban Meyer couldn't get off his staff fast enough. And then you go through spring ball and everybody's excited again. And then it's like, Oh, you hired Casey Horn. You hired a guy that was on the Bryle staff. So yeah, it was just that, that the Tom Herman roller coaster. I'm glad we're not on it anymore. No, no, that's moved on to FIU now, and apparently Tom Herman is a, a big no-carb guy based on what he looks like now versus his time in Austin. I mean, that guy has lost 25 to 30 pounds. He looks He's lost so much weight, he looks sickly. Like the first really? time I saw him after FIU had hired him, I'm like, boy, does Tom Herman have some sort of digestive disease that's <laughs> causing him to lose a lot of weight in a short amount of time? Uh, I thought Casey in India recently and was uh, was eating the food of somebody who had just wiped their ass and then not washed their hands. Jesus, you know that's how they do it in India, right? They wipe their ass with their bare hands. Yeah, and there's no hand washing afterwards. They'll just go and handle food and then deliver food out to people. That's how, uh, unfortunately, how people d uh, end up with uh Jardia and uh, other digestive issues like that after traveling to India. I've heard of, I've heard of countries in the Middle East where um they use the left hand. The left hand is the the wiping hand. Yeah. And uh apparently in some of those countries if you reach out to shake somebody's hand with your left hand it is like an incredible sign of disrespect. Oh okay. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. So you're going you're going with what for what is most people the weak hand, the off hand, yeah, the uh, the baseball glove hand, if you will, yeah, because it is the weak hand, but also for the social connotation that exists whenever you do actually greet somebody else. That makes sense. Yeah. Have you ever? I've, I don't know that I've ever 
shaking hands with the like even people that I know are left-handed. I mean, I don't shake hands with my brother ever, but I don't know if I've ever shaken hands with somebody that's left-handed and like they extend the left hand. Unless they're like you they're like right hand's been in a cast or something, maybe. That's the scenario. If somebody is dealing with an injury to the right hand or right arm, you may yeah. you, you may put the left hand out. But even then, like thinking about like more of a casual, like hand slap, handshake, or doing the like grab, grab by the grab by the yeah, thumbs. The, I can't really do it right yeah. now. But grabbing by the thumbs and pulling in for a hug, like even that feels weird. I've become a big fist bump guy post COVID. I like the fist bump. This is it's, it's quick. It's not uncomfortable for anybody. Yeah. I think Unless, most people are on board with this bump too. There are times where the, uh, the open hand greeting is appropriate though. There have been a few occasions though. Like I'll go for the fist bump and then the person I'm greeting no, doesn't realize I'm fist bumping and they'll like grab my, my hand. So that makes it a little awkward, but dude, Chip and I, Chip and I at, uh, at Texas OU last weekend, the Friday show that we did, we mm-hmm. had one of the most awkward white guy (laughs) it continued for like five or six iterations of us trying to get our hand right for what the other person was doing yeah that's that's real that's super awkward yeah jake mentions it in the chat just don't do the dead fish you know when i was at uh mac brown's football camp going into my sophomore year that's the that's the main thing i learned from that deal was when you're shaking somebody's hand be firm look them in the eye make eye contact so that's it. I, I learned how to, to Mac Brown taught me how to do the proper handshake. Oh, I that? thought you were going to say that you shook Mac's hand and it was like a wet noodle or something. No, I uh, actually injured my shoulder at that camp. So I got some good one-on-one time with, uh, with Mac. Wow. Okay. So CV says elbow bump. Are we talking about bash bros elbow bump where you're coming in like that? Like four, but you're touching forearms. Yeah, but that. it's still called, yeah, well, it's still called, I guess it's not an elbow brump. It is more of a forearm deal. And then Cooter, a.k.a. Steve from Pest Wrangler, says, fuck the COVID elbow bump. Fuck it. <laughs> I don't know what the I, elbow bump is. Is that literally just, just walking up to somebody and bumping elbows? I don't know. I'm like, that's, that's something you might do, I guess, if, like, somebody comes over the house and maybe, like, you're washing dishes or something or you know, you've got you're making some kind of food, maybe maybe a nice potato salad where you're like, you know, or a meatloaf where your hands are like you're you're grinding something in a bowl, and it's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, hey, good. And you might stick the elbow out and bump yeah. the elbow. That's the only it's the only time I think the elbow bump is appropriate. Yeah, I think that's a great scenario that you just painted there for when it is acceptable to stick your elbow out as a greeting, or just say hi and don't feel the need to touch the other person. There's always I, uh, that option. Man, I really want meatloaf now. When's the last time you had a good meatloaf, Trey? Because I know you try to stay health conscious, but come on. You, you, you enjoy a good meatloaf every now and then. You know, even as a fat kid, Jeff, meatloaf was never one of my jams. And maybe it's because my mom never really made meatloaf. Last time I ate meatloaf, it was probably a turkey meatloaf five or ten years ago. Okay. See, my wife figured it out. Because, like... I didn't realize how bad like my mom's meatloaf was until my wife started making meatloaf. My wife is an awesome cook, by the way. Mm. But even like she's like, man, she's like, I just don't like meatloaf because it's dry. So like we just started putting like different stuff in it. Like maybe we'll put, you know, uh, cheese in it or, you know, some extra tomato sauce or something. And finally, we got the right kind of balance to where, all right, this doesn't taste like I'm eating, you know, uh, 
Like I'm just pouring ketchup on it to make it edible. Like it actually doesn't need ketchup and it tastes good. That's really cool. Is that the best thing that she makes in your opinion? Ooh, the meatloaf is up there. Um, she doesn't make it from scratch, scratch, but she'll do really good uh, sour cream chicken enchiladas. Yo. Which I have been told are on the menu. She's not here right now, but I've been told her on the menu here in the next week or so. The next week or so. Okay, so not tonight. Not tonight. Um, she's been, you know, my wife, my wife is really hard on herself as a cook, though. Like, she'll try things. Like, you know, just she'll find a recipe on, I don't know, Pinterest or wherever the, wherever the shit women find recipes i don't know um and she'll try it and and she's like i don't like it i'm like no it's actually good and she's like oh i'm not gonna do it again i'm like well hope i enjoyed that because i'm not getting that anymore i'm my own worst critic in life but also and especially the kitchen because i am the better of the two cooks in my household oh really my wife who is obsessive compulsive about so many things which is why she's good at a lot of stuff because she Pays attention to the details, obsesses over the details for whatever reason. In two areas, she's just completely lax and laissez about about the process. And it's two things where I do obsess over the details, and that's doing laundry. She doesn't even separate the whites, the lights, and the uh, the colors. Don't even get me started on that. That's just it's insulting to all your clothes to not do that. But in the kitchen, she's like paying half attention to stuff. And then she's like, I don't understand why this didn't turn out as good as you do. And I'm like, well, because I'm paying really close attention to stuff. I'm timing it out. Like the, the prep process, the actual cooking process of things. There's oftentimes a bit of a balancing act because you're dealing with multiple things at once. I'm paying really close attention to this stuff. And you're just kind of half-assed throwing it together. Yeah. I think we've had this conversation on here. But if not, I think it's worth bringing up. I've told my wife, I'm like, hey. Like her grandmother's in her, her her late seventies and like still going. This is the kind of woman Trey. Like this was probably this probably been about five somewhere between five and ten years ago. My wife calls her during the summer, doesn't get an answer on the phone. It's like the middle of July. It's it's middle of the afternoon. She gets a call back from her grandma a couple hours later. She's like, uh, she's like, Gigi, where were you? She's like, oh, I was mowing my bar ditches. I'm like, it's a hundred degrees outside. Why are you mowing your bar ditches? Like somebody's somebody's got to do it yeah just your just your ditch on your property yeah she was out there just doing the push mower so yeah she oh my uh god yeah this, this lady just goes and goes and goes i told her i'm like you need to start copying down writing down some of these recipes and figuring out how she do, does stuff and i think that goes for a lot of people that have grandparents or great-grandparents that are still around because once once they're no longer with us like i just i just worry that a lot of these family recipes are just gonna die hmm. they're gonna go with them which would be a shame I'm thinking about the uh, the whole title conversation. There's one time where I had to play the title game. Oh, you did? It was by necessity, though. It was when I moved back to Austin from Chicago and started working at the Horn. And when I started back up there, it was to produce Bucky and Aaron. Except by that time, I had gained a lot of experience and ability as a radio producer. And I also realized that radio producers are like the lowest person on the totem pole at a radio station of all the low people at a totem pole at a radio station. They're maybe slightly above unpaid interns, but in terms of paid position, one, the pay is dog shit. And two, you are, you are treated with a complete lack of respect because 
producers are often hourly employees. Usually it's pretty close to minimum wage and you get a lot of slapdicks in that position too. But I came back there with a bunch of experience and under an understanding the lack of respect that would be doled out to me if I was merely a producer. So I said, I will do the job, but I'm an executive producer for you guys. I'm not just a producer. There you go. Okay. That makes sense. Bucky and Aaron clowned me for being in it, for insisting on being an, an executive <laughs> producer, but it meant something. God damn it. Yeah. Even if I was getting paid close to minimum wage still, man. I And you know, I've noticed this with a lot of people in the last couple months, even a station like the ticket in Dallas where guys are leaving and some of those guys on the way out have either themselves divulged or others that have left have divulged their salaries and people find out, man, unless you're one of the big, the big name on air guys, do people in radio don't make squat. It was shocking to learn that at the ticket in Dallas. I assumed that the ticket was the standard with which everybody else needed to try and get to mm-hmm. no, sadly. And I say this all the time when people make mistakes in radio, it's just fucking radio. Dude, like people like you got, you had like producers and board ops that had worked there for 10, 15, 20 years, making, making 30 grand a year. Yeah. That just, that just blew my mind at that place. I can see it at other places, but at that place, man, you, you should have taken better care of your people. At WGN Radio, I was only making 40000 a year, and that's while also serving as the Chicago Cubs radio affiliate manager, too. Jeez. So it wasn't, I mean, and I was producing two shows at the time as well. I mean, hours-wise, it was probably pretty close to 40, but it's like, this is WGN Radio here. Like one of the I, most recognizable stations on the planet. I really hope that people, <laughs> people when you know, when I join the horn uh join the on-air staff daily i really hope people didn't assume i did that for the money because trust me trust me i i I did that job and loved it and stayed in it for as long as i did it it had nothing to do with the money in spite of the money yeah pretty much yeah jake you're right about this the ticket is definitely not the same the ticket started its decline a few years ago when Mike Reiner left maybe in a little bit before that, but when Mike Reiner left and they paired Corby with Bob Sturham, that was not good. Jake and Dan had a pretty good show. Apparently yeah. Norm Hitchius got to the point where he had start started to really experience that decline. And I believe he's all the way out now. Norm is. Yeah. Norm is retired. Yep. Their morning show still really good. You know, it's a staple, obviously the musers with Gordo, but uh, there's there's been a lot of shakeup at that station, and it is no longer the uh, the powerhouse that it once was. No, and it's it's funny. Like even even when I was on the air at the Horn, like this is I think this just shows you like the brand that 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 the ticket has. Like Craig and I, we would we would sometimes talk about stuff that happened on the ticket, or because I mean he and and I mean Craig's friends with some of those guys. I know yeah. like. Donovan Miller George, and, and there's yeah. a couple other guys that, that he knows. Yeah, because he there. went to UNT with some of those guys, didn't? Yeah, he? with Dun with Donovan Miller. Yeah, but I mean, it's like we're we're on the air talking about uh you know talking about a show in a different market or st- in a station in a different market. But honestly, man, I I did some ticket shtick during during my time at the Horn. I'm not gonna lie, I I I, I borrowed borrowed some things, borrowed some drops and some one liners. Something that stands out. Um. So yes, so the it, it was a drop. It was 
it was Mike's Mike did a drop. Reiner did a drop one time. They took a drop of it. Him saying, I think there's a lot going on out there that we really don't know about or something to that effect. So every time Craig would do an inconceivable that dealt with like aliens or space or anything, I would drop a, I would drop a, you know, I, I think there's just a lot going on out there that we don't really know about. I think that was that's, fun. that's a common enough saying that maybe you, uh, maybe the idea hatched with the ticket in terms of where you heard it for the first time, but I think you're safe there. Yeah. Yeah. By well, the way, it, a lot of, a lot of art, very little art, I should say, isn't borrowing from something else. So everybody's borrowing or stealing from somebody else. So as, assuming that you're not going verbatim and you're not making money on stage, let's say, to tie it back into stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. you're literally saying the same joke, but but getting credit for making that joke when somebody else actually did it, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, I you know, for a while at, at Horns 24-7, I did a, a scatter shooting column and for Black no other Sherrod. reason it was a it was a tribute to blackie sherrod exactly oh, yeah do you not still do that um no but i've i've been kicking around some ideas it's just it's been it's been hard to stay consistent for me uh with especially and and, and honestly man the staff changes we've had have been good because we keep hiring good people that keep getting promoted within the company. So then we have to fill those spots with, with other people. So um, it's been hard to stay consistent like that, but uh, yeah, back to it. I, I may, I may honor scatter shooting at one point or, or pass it off to another, another member of the staff. Love it. That was a, a great formula that Blackie did well for a long time. I actually, borrowed from how norm mcdonald used to do the weekend update on snl for a short amount of time where i was responsible for the sports updates during chad and kevin's show their afternoon show at the horn and boy you want to talk about something that some people liked but a lot of people hated it was me going really smart ass with the day's news <laughs> the day's sports news which this was during that art riles era also oh gosh he was getting dragged, and I was I was basically doing to Art Bryles what Norm did to OJ back in the mid nineteen nineties. Didn't that was that that's what ended up contributing to him getting fired? Yeah, wasn't it because oh, he wouldn't yeah. leave the OJ bit alone? I forget who the head of NBC was at the time, but the head of NBC was good friends with OJ, and so he had Lauren Michaels ask Norm to stop doing the OJ stuff, and Norm refused. And so he ultimately got canned for it. Oh, what a great mind we lost when Norm McDonald passed away. Dude, Norm McDonald, I wish we could play this on this channel, but I don't want to risk copyright infringement. His ESPYs monologue is still an all-timer. You talked about going and uh, what is it that you said that you, uh, that you watch just about weekly now? You said it earlier in the show. You watch uh, it. it's something to make you laugh. Oh, Sam, the Sam Ken. No, yeah, sorry. this is Sam. Yeah, it's the Sam Kennison deal. Yeah, Sam Kennison. So I will watch Norm's Espy's monologue from time to time just to cheer myself up. It's Ricky Gervais did one that was very similar, I think, at the Golden Globes a few years ago. But man, Norm took a flamethrower to that theater that night. <laughs> he made OJ. He made all sorts of jokes. 
Oh, it was the one. Oh, the one I remember. He it, it was something about Charles Woodson, and he said something about let's just hope Charles doesn't commit murder or something. And it was definitely it was definitely an OJ. And I think that was the one where the camera cuts to Ken Griffey Jr. and he's like, "Y'all, like I can't believe he just did that." Shaking his head. Yeah. No, that was the whole thing is great. That is the seminal moment though, because that's the one where you get Ken Griffey. He's not even trying to yeah. hide his face because he's laughing. He's flat out frowning, saying that's not right. Yeah. Uh, there, <laughs> I won't say the name of the product because I know we're, we we have sponsors here. Not that any of our sponsors are associated. Have you seen the – it's on Twitter. It might be on YouTube. I don't know. But it's a compilation of live reads when Norm MacDonald had his podcast. Oh, he was doing yeah. live reads for a, a grill product. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the, the reads where they uh they stopped having him do live reads really <laughs> after that it's like I'm to- I'm, i've been told we can't talk about this product anymore <laughs> did we ever learn what happened with norm was it brain cancer that took him um you know what let me let me go to the google machine here real quick one of his best friends is adam egot and he's now responsible for booking the comedy mothership i've tried to get him on I've tried to get him on and interview him just to talk with him about his job because I think his job is so cool, but also his relationship with Norm. The guy who was sitting next to Norm for the Norm McDonald show, mm-hmm. where you can still watch episodes on Netflix, that was Adam Egan. And he's apparently one of the few people who actually knew what was going on with Norm. Uh, let's see. This just says multiple myeloma on uh, on his Wikipedia page. Multiple myeloma? Oh, cancer returned in early 2020, metastasizing uh into a cancer that often develops into acute leukemia. Hmm. So yeah, it's Norm never um, learned how to drive and was a sports gambling DJ with a heavy emphasis on golf. On golf? Yeah. Did you ever watch his Comedy Central show? I interviewed him one time for the Comedy Central show. No. It's classic norm. I mean, it's going to make people uncomfortable, but it was also really funny. <laughs> it's the final bit on the show. Each episode was called what the H where he just talks about messed up things happening around the sports world. And he would just end it with what the H. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Uh, seeing if we got anything in the, uh, in the chat, Cooter saying, uh, wait, there's radio out there. Radio pretty much dies for me uh, when the horn did its thing. Yeah, you're not alone, Cooter. It's dead for a lot of people. That's the reason why Texas Sports Unfiltered is what it is. Because we saw that there was a void and a need for people to get to hear Austin-based sports-ish talk. <laughs> Except for three to five on Fridays. <laughs> Thursdays too. Kevin and I, we talked some sports yesterday, but it was a lot of non-sports stuff. It's just one of those weird weeks though. When Texas is on by, yeah. even though it's a decent slate of college games, I'm convinced the rest of the way in the NFL, by the way, Jeff, that we're going to get one or two matchups with teams with winning records the rest of the year, because there is so much parity in the NFL this season. Like there's some decent games, but you know, people only want to hear you talk about UNC Miami or Oregon State, UCLA, or even Oregon, Washington so much. So if we can find other ways to entertain folks who are tuned in, then that's what we're going to do. Yeah, we, we could talk Alabama, Arkansas. Okay. What do you think <laughs> no. about Alabama, Arkansas? 
I have no thoughts. I have no thoughts on Alabama, Arkansas. Uh, the Aggies have a game this weekend. They I haven't even. They're going to get boat raced by Tennessee and Knoxville. Oh yeah, they go to Knoxville. Yeah. Well, good luck. With yeah. That, for some Aggies. reason, that's only a three and a half point line. I know Tennessee's not that good this year, but this this is rife for a an emotional letdown for A and M after them losing to Alabama when a lot of people were picking them to win in upset fashion, even though that game was in College Station. You so. know, that that's a league, though, Trey, that SEC, where, I mean, there's a couple of good teams. I think that we can – I mean, we can say, I think we can say at this point Alabama's a good football team. Shocker. Yeah. Georgia's a really good football team. And outside of that – I mean, Georgia beat the breaks off Kentucky, and Kentucky's still one of those teams that I would say they're probably they're probably a good football team. There just aren't uh, the 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 top end of the SEC is not as as loaded as it has been. Is the second the best team in the SEC West LSU or Ole Miss? I mean, I'll probably stay Ole Miss just by virtue of the head to head. I don't know what the hell's happened to LSU defensively, man. See, I don't know what happened to Ole Miss offensively against Alabama. Alabama's defense is good. I get that. But Jackson Dart has also been really good. For him to completely no-show in that game was a shocker. I think I had Ole Miss to win that game, but that was also at a time where people were wondering if this was the beginning of the end for Nick Saban, and here we are a few weeks later, and clearly yeah. it's not. Yeah, Nick Saban's demise, uh, rumors of his demise are greatly exaggerated. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would probably say it's Ole Miss. I mean – Cause just the bottom part. I mean, I, dude, I don't know what the hell's happened to Arkansas. Like Arkansas just completely just peed down their leg against Texas A&M. I actually watched most of that game. That was that was unfortunate the way that thing happened. Um, let's see, where'd my SEC standings go? Oh, there they are. Um, yeah, I probably I'd probably go Ole Miss Trey, just for lack of a lack of a better option. I did think that Sam Pittman was getting that Arkansas program going in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, they have really fallen off this year. I mean, the, the COVID year where when you when I found out it was going to be a 10-game season for SEC schools, I'm like, they're not going to win a game. Yeah. I didn't I didn't think I, I thought they were going over and they won three. And they showed a fight. Yeah. Yeah. And he, even against, you know, Alabama, they put up a fight. Uh, maybe the only game where they didn't compete. Maybe they they played somebody where they weren't very good. Maybe it was Georgia or A and M. I forget. Uh, but yeah, they put up a really good fight that first year, and then the next year they won nine. Yeah, including you know they got that win over Texas, and I left Fayetteville thinking, man, Arkansas's got it going, like you said. But I don't know what the heck has happened since then. KJ Jefferson peaked that year. Yeah, I know what happened. Yeah, it, at the, you know, the SEC, I think, is going through some of the same stuff the Big 12 is, just from the standpoint of, and I think this is why the, the Pac-12 is in the position it's in. Go look at the starting quarterbacks in that league Yeah, and tell me who jumps out to you. Like, who's the second best quarterback in the SEC? Who's the, who's the best quarterback in the SEC? Is it probably Jaden Daniels at Daniels, uh, LSU? Yeah. Based on how he's looked over the last couple of games, Jackson Dart has an argument. It's not going to be Carson Beck. Um, who is Kentucky's quarterback? I guess that probably answers that question for me as to whether <laughs> it's, it's Devin Leary, but again, yeah, it doesn't matter. Not, yeah. Connor Wegman was maybe playing his way into the conversation before he suffered the season ending injury. 
I mean, is J- is Jalen Milrow back in that conversation? I think that see the problem for Jalen Milrow right now is that he is not able to utilize his most valuable tool, his legs, nearly as much with that hamstring injury. I think he is. You are seeing him getting better as a passer, though. Like these last couple of weeks specifically, I have watched him do a better job of going through his progressions. Now that becomes easier when you don't have that Texas defensive front pressuring him non-stop, uh, non-stop as, soo- as soon as the football is snapped. But he is starting to look a little bit better as a passer. We're seeing those baby steps happen. Yeah, Spencer Rattler's got the numbers, but I mean, South Carolina, where, where's South Carolina going at this point? I cannot believe Spencer Rattler still. He's, he's in that category of quarterbacks with JT Daniels, where it's like, how the hell are you still playing college ball? It's that, and, and uh, you know, talk about two guys that at, at various points were – this just goes to show you what way too early mock drafts are worth. And I don't like it when, like, the, the college writers, like when we get all kinds of beef for doing a way too early top 25 or bowl projections, yet everybody just can't get enough of the mock drafts. Um there, you can look at various mock drafts over the last over the years, and like there were times where either JT Daniels or Spencer Rattler was a a, a projected number one overall pick. Yeah, didn't, didn't really pan out for either guy. No, no and it, it turns as it turns out, Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler's only crime was yeah, okay, you're not Caleb Williams. Okay, well, who the hell else is? Well. His other crime is that he uh, he clearly fell from the top of the tree and his face hit every branch on the ground <laughs> too. Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh man, that's got to warn me before that uh, that kind of stuff comes down. But you know, like getting back to the quarterback stuff, like with the SEC, I said the same thing about the Big Twelve. Who's the best quarterback in the Big Twelve right now? It's not Jalen Daniels. I mean, the guy's got to he's got to play in a couple of games in a row to he, get back into that conversation. I don't know. It's either Dylan Gabriel or Quinn Ewers, probably. And, and it sounds honestly, man, it sounds like Jalen Daniels might be done for the year. So, do you are are you buying the conspiracy theory that he is going to sit this season out so he can chase a larger bag at a better program next year? Uh, no, I don't think it's that. I think he's legitimately hurt. I mean, the back deal was something that he he'd been dealing with that all summer, and I'd even heard from people close to that KU program that's like, man, everybody's expecting this from Jalen Daniels. Like everybody kind of knew even early in camp that he wasn't going to be healthy enough to start the opener. And then he got better and, you know, it just it, it ended up not working out for him. I mean, is he going to go into the portal? Maybe, probably, I don't know, but I do think the, I do think the injury is legitimate. Well, I, on the one hand, I kind of wish it wasn't because he is a special talent, but I hate that for him. Like when he was announced as out for that Texas game, I wasn't celebrating. I want that no. to go out there and have to beat the best. And he was it going was. to pose a unique challenge for this defense and may have done a better job of getting them ready for what they would be going up against the next week against OU too. Yeah, for sure. No, no question. Because we all saw with the way he threw the football, there's a reason Jason Bean was not the starting quarterback. Yeah. Okay, you. Uh, I do wonder, how many games Daniel's playing? He played in three or two? Let's see, that Kansas game was the fifth game of the year for both teams. So he played in three, right? They were both four. Yeah, he played in three. He played the second through fourth games. Um, so I wonder at this point if – has he has he red – I wonder if he's redshirted already. I can't remember if he's redshirted or not. Mm, I can check for you right now. 
I'm I'm checking. Uh, let's see. 2020 troops. So he played in 2020. So he'll get he gets the COVID year back anyway. Um, yeah, I mean he's got a couple years of eligibility left if he you know ends up taking a red shirt this year. He hasn't used his his traditional red shirt. So um, yeah, it, I'll tell you if he did enter the portal though, and he's assuming he's healthy, there's no telling what kind of bag he could get in the portal. Yeah, big one. I mean, so Dylan Gabriel and Quinn Ewers are the two best quarterbacks in the conference. Who is even the third best quarterback in this conference? Ooh, I mean, probably Will Howard. Well, I would have agreed. I would have actually put him in that top echelon of quarterbacks until that stinker in Stillwater. Last uh, Friday night, that was in, awful. I mean, he you know, reverted to freshman year Will Howard form in that when game. When he was Will spill the pill, Howard. You know, Garrett Green from West Virginia didn't look didn't look too bad last night. Okay, in that game right. against Houston, Plumley yeah. for U- UCF maybe. See, he's hurt. He's hurt too. Oh, see, I don't care about UCF. Yeah, see, Ch- Chandler Chandler Morris is is hurt at TCU. Gonna go with Alan Bowman at uh, at Oak State. Oh, is Bowman the starting quarterback there? Yeah. Wow. Their running back is pretty good. I, I was not watching the game with sound on on Friday night, but their running back looks like a, a force to be reckoned with. Oh, you're talking about Oklahoma State? Yeah. Yeah, Ollie Gordon is a really good player in high school. Eulis Trinity kid. Hmm. Uh, Texas Tech, their starting quarterback got hurt for the year. A rash of quarterback injuries Yeah, in college football this year. I mean, seriously, the Big 12's – I think the Big 12 is probably in better quarterback shape right now than the SEC is. I mean, would you take – you would take – other than Jalen Daniels, would you take Quinn Ewers or Dylan Gabriel over any other starting quarterback in the SEC? Maybe put Jackson Dart in there? I, I would take Quinn Ewers over Jaden Daniels or Jackson Dart, yes. You, and, so Dylan, you, you, and Dylan Gabriel, too, at, at in college. Okay. Jake in the chat says Blake Shapen might be top five. Sheesh. I mean, it's it's just and and Shapen's been banged up this year too, so he's missed games. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's but going back to the to the Washington uh, Oregon conversation, some really good quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. And that's without Cam Rising. Yeah. He may not play this year because that knee injury was much more serious than anybody let on at the start of the season. I mean, UCLA's riding the riding the turnover roller coaster with, with Dante Moore right now, but he he's going to be very good. Yeah. By the time it's kind of like, you know, we saw Quinn struggle with it last year. You know, remember if you remember Sam struggled with it in 17 as a true freshman. I mean, young quarterbacks turn the ball over. They do stupid things. That's what young quarterbacks do. But Try Dante do much. Yeah, Dante Moore's gonna be really freaking good. Michael Penix. Bo Nix, uh, some really damn good quarterbacks in that league. Caleb Williams. Like if you if you end up this year, I don't know how how far down the Pac-12 goes in terms of their all conference. They do a third team, or it's just honorable mention. Man, if you get a first, second, or third team all Pac-12 quarterback spot this year, do you freaking earned it? Shador Sanders, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we're talking about, we we just mentioned like four or five guys before we Shador Sanders even got brought up. Dr. Pepper spokesperson DJ Oyelungalale. Yeah. Who, you know, 
he's not uh, turning into that future number one overall draft pick that Dr. Pepper anticipated a few years ago, but he's rejuvenated his career in Corvallis. At least now, I'm like when he was at Clemson, looks like he understands the nuances of the forward pass. So he just just looked bad at Clemson. But as, as we've seen, we talked about we talked about Clemson's issues. You know, it's they're off their you know uh, lack of development along the offensive line is caught up with them, and then just Dabo's reluctance to use the portal. It's adapt or die, Trey. I you know to watch Dabo play some strange game of nil chicken <laughs> with the uh, the rest of the world has been a fascinating storyline to cover. In part because he's essentially allowing his program to crumble. It was like this strange refusal to play this game. It's like, dude, this is where this has been headed for several years now. Are you really being that big of a, a an ideologue right now that you're going to allow this Clemson program to set itself back by a couple of years? But here we are, and he is. Um Jake in the chat, we're talking about Pacto Quarters. Cam Ward at Washington State is another one that's good. The Dabo portal thing, and again, you know, Clemson in terms of conference championships, national championships, Dabo's accomplished more at Clemson than Mac did at Texas. But the parallels to me in terms of what looks like the fall are real similar. Mac's deal was, yeah, we're not going to deal with third parties in recruiting. We're only going to recruit a certain type of kid. It's like, all right, you can do that, but understand that, you know, Baylor at first it was AM and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They're gonna recruit those kids that that you're not that are from the state of Texas and TCU is and Baylor is. And we saw we saw Baylor and TCU take off. And then when Matt tried at the end to scramble and put together a player personnel staff, just as it, the head and, and I I love Mac Brown. I do. I know people, you know, have their opinions of Mac Brown, but for the head coach at Texas to ever get up at a press conference and say any area of your program and say, we've been mom and popping it around here for too long. And the head coach at Texas should never say that. No, should never be in a position to say that. Well, much like Mac Brown from what? 2006, 2007 on Dabo has really let the caliber of offensive linemen that he's bringing in at Clemson slip to the degree that that is a position group that is a liability more years than not in death Valley. And I think Mac, look, Mac, part of Mac's problem on top of the mom and pop comment, which I had not heard up to this point. That's not good. When he hired, when he hired Patrick Suttis to, to run the player personnel department. And I think that was before the 2013 season. It wasn't just him falling in love too much with recruiting rankings versus hiring guys to use their eyeballs to see if they would be a good fit for what it was you were doing on each side of the ball. He also made a catastrophic mistake after Saban beat him in early 2010 of shifting from this spread offense, which had quarterback had played his entire life, his entire football career to this power running game. And they didn't have the pieces to do that effectively on offense. So even though no. the defense remained pretty good for the next couple of years, the offense was a steaming pile of shit until he left. No. And, and you're regardless of not just for your quarterback, but I think had Mac been honest with himself at that point about how just not only how questionable some of their offensive line evals were, cause you can go back and look at some Texas guys and those recruiting classes along the offensive line that never played, like never lettered Ooh. at Texas. So your offensive line evals were off. 
your running back recruiting was kind of hit or miss at that point in time. Like if Mac would have been honest with himself, he'd been like, yeah, for a number of reasons, going to that style of offense was a mistake. You know, I think, and I think uh, honestly, there was times where he was listening to the wrong people. Who is he listening to? From again, from people I've heard who were in the room, that was Mac McCorder and Greg Davis were very much in favor of that shift. Fucking Greg and, Davis. And from and from what I was told, the person who was most against it was Will Muschamp. Muschamp didn't think there was anything wrong with the offense they were running. There wasn't. <laughs> no, there wasn't. You you just you just won twenty five games in two years. Now, granted, you had a you know a, a historically significant quarterback pulling the trigger, but yeah, that offense had won that offense had won you twenty five games in over over two years. Look, Colt McCoy was an accurate passer, and he was also very mobile back there, but he didn't excel as a thrower. You get a guy in there who not only understands the offense like Colt did, but has been playing it for so many years as a football player, like Garrett Gilbert was. Like I, it disgusted me for a lot of reasons to watch our fans turn on Garrett Gilbert like they did. But the biggest reason is that Mac basically gave him uh, a pretty shitty chance at being successful at Texas by pulling the rug out from under him with regards to the direction that he took the offense once Garrett Gilbert became the full time starter. Yeah, and I mean that you know. He probably, for Garrett Gilbert's sake, probably hired Brian Harson a year too late. Mm, yeah, that's true. You know, because Brian Harson with a with a full year with Garrett Gilbert, things might have. I mean, look, Garrett Gilbert still and and uh, didn't you interview him uh, around the Super Bowl? Was that this year, last year? I forget. Yeah, would have a better idea than I do. Two years ago, yeah. And and it turned hey, it turned out okay for him. He had a long career in the league, made him some money, got a Super Bowl ring, started some games. So Gilbert went to SMU, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got drafted and went to play for June Jones in that run and shoot, which was, which suited him well. So I don't know, man, it's, it's crazy to see how things ended for Texas at the end. And and what's even crazier about it, Trey, it's like in the moment, none of us predicted that was going to happen. No. You know, in hindsight, yeah, we can connect the dots, but none of us. I, 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 this was well after the fact. There was a big time recruit. I won't say the recruit's name because I don't want to have get back to the high school coach and me get an angry phone call. But I, I, I remember talking to a high school coach of a big time recruit that ended, he ended up going to Texas, had a pretty nice career, ended up playing in the NFL. And the kid was down to you know the the, the choices kids from this area. If you're a big time guy, get down to it. It's Texas, Oklahoma, you know, A and M was in there. And he said they had kind of a staff meeting with the kid and said, man, when it comes down to it, just go to Texas because you know they're always going to be good. And the coach felt really bad, felt like he gave his kid some bad advice. But like I said, the kid ended up making it the league. But, man, that was that was everybody. That was high school coaches and everybody. I mean, the Texas is always going to be good. They're always going to figure it out. And it was so far gone at that point. We didn't realize, you know, under the hood, how much stuff was wrong on the outside? The car looked fine, but man, that thing was a wreck. Once you once you pop the hood and looked underneath, was it Malcolm Brown? No, it wasn't Malcolm Brown. Okay, hmm. I don't have any other good guesses, but it's it's there was a lot there was a lot of that going on, a lot of that going on. Yeah, and it's fun. it's it's been, you know, I. <clears throat> Where are you at on categorizing the Charlie Strong tenure? Because I won't 
I won't disagree with what I said. The kind of coach Charlie is in terms of a disciplinarian and, you know, a guy that kind of understood there were a lot of bad apples in that locker room. Like I see CB in the chat mentioned Desmond Harrison. Matt kind of flipped on that policy. We're only going to recruit certain types of kids because they didn't have a choice by the end. They just had to take talented kids and hope that they walked the straight and narrow while they were at Texas. And that ended (laughs) unfortunately, that ended up being Charlie's problem. But I felt like Texas needed the Charlie Strong situation because unfortunately, it's kind of like it's kind of like that time with the Cowboys between uh between Barry Switzer slash Chan Gailey and Bill Parcells. You basically just needed Dave Campo to go in there and be like, look, we're in salary cap hell. Our our best players are about to age out of the league. We basically need somebody to rip the band-aid off this thing and deal with us sucking really bad for two or three years we'll be forever indebted to you we just need somebody to take this job and do that and dave campo did that with three straight five and eleven years and then they hired parcells and part that that roster that couldn't bust a grape under dave campo parcells ends up taking it to the playoffs so i feel like in a lot of ways the charlie thing needed to happen just to completely flush the program of of all that stuff that had built up well charlie got fucked at the quarterback position Dude, yeah. Well, some of that was his own fault, though. I mean, they some of it was, but he yeah. also had David Ash in there, and the only the only viable backup that season, if I'm remembering correctly, was Tyrone Swoops, wasn't it? Yeah, and they they did not want to pull the red shirt off of Gerard Hurd because they didn't feel like he was ready. And he ended up playing quarterback for a little bit, having a record-setting game against Cal in a game that's. Texas lost because Nick Rose cared more about his stupid haircut than he did making extra points. <laughs> and uh, Gerard Hurd did beat OU once, but ultimately becomes yes, he a did. wide receiver. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that obviously set him them behind the eight ball, but I'm not going to feel bad about Charlie because the side of the ball that was supposed to be buttoned up with him in charge was the defense. And the defense was sec- setting records for how bad they were. Yeah. In, in his defense, though, he he recruited good defensive players. But man, some of their I, I want to. I was thinking about this today, actually. Their twenty that twenty fifteen recruiting class they had, which was Charlie's first full cycle, where they could, and Charlie had a player personnel department from the start. Hired Mike Giglio to run that thing, and go look at some of their evals on defense in was that, that twenty Malik this year. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, everybody in the country recruited Malik, but Holton Hill. Was in that class. Sean Chris, Chris Boyd yeah. made it to the NFL. Uh, let's see. Wasn't, wasn't Chris the add-on, or was DeMarco the add-on there? DeMarco was the add-on. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned Deshaun Elliott. Deshaun Elliott's in that class. Yeah. Made it to the league. Charles Amena, who's in that class. Yeah. Ended up making it to the league. Uh, Devontae Davis had a nice career at oh, Texas. Yeah. P.J. Locke ended up making it to the league. Yeah, uh, Brecken Hager, really productive college player. So, man, their evaluations on defense, like Charlie and those guys knew what they were doing. It was just so far gone. And, and, but it became to Todd Orlando's benefit, where I talked about all the stuff Matt did became Charlie's problem. That benefited Todd Orlando because he inherits a defense in 2017 that all of a sudden, yeah, they've taken their lumps, but they got experience. And remember – it's hard to remember like the on-field stuff at the end of that 2016 season just because of the the insanity that was going on behind the scenes. That defense got better in the second half of the year. Yeah. But once Charlie took took play calling away from Vance Bedford and started running the defense himself, that yeah. defense got better. Wasn't and, Brandon Jones in that class too? 
No, Jones was in 16. He was in that uh, he was in that 2016 class. Gotcha. Which which is full of a uh, some talented guys that Tom Herman ran off. Uh, but yeah, that was to Todd Orlando's benefit that he inherits a defense with Malik and and all those. Guys. And they added a couple pieces. You know, they added a Gary Johnson, and that's a 2017 defense was one of the best in the country with a lot of guys that are still making money playing in the NFL. What happened to Gary uh, Gary Johnson? What what happened to him? You no, know, he. Uh, I thought last I saw was he maybe got a chance in the CFL. I think. Okay, good for him. I think was it. I want to say he got a cup of coffee like one of the UDFA kind of tryout deals, like the rookie mini camp with the he Chiefs, was, right? Because wasn't he a Kansas City guy or Kansas guy? No, he's actually from Alabama, mm. but. Uh, it went to uh, went to junior Art college Street. in Kansas. Yeah, yeah it went to uh, I forget what J. I don't forget what J. C. Gary was that. Was he Garden City guy or Butler? I, believe, I, think, was, so I think I made the uh, Brandy Perryman connection with him. Garden City or Butler? I can't remember. Yeah, but no, that's that was the Kansas connection with Gary Johnson. A CB says CFL. Yeah, I remember seeing something about that in a in a transaction deal a while back. So. He, he was great for a couple of reasons, including teaching Malik Jefferson how to properly play the linebacker position. They were so good together um, because they had the recovery speed to make up to pretty much a relic. Kind of like we see Anthony Hill do now. Yeah. When you're athletic enough and fast enough that you can erase your own mistakes with your with your makeup speed. Both those guys had that. Do you think we start to see more of Anthony Hill next to Jalen Ford? I think you have to, man. And it's down. And it's not a knock on David Benda. I, I just think kind of the one theme with PK's defense when they've really struggled, one of the common themes is they're not, they don't force turnovers. Right. And Anthony Hill's one of those guys that can, can change the game for you. He's a guy that can disrupt things and, and create enough havoc that, you know, whether it's tackles for loss, you know, making negative plays or getting his hands on the ball, whatever it is, I mean, you, at some point you just got to put playmakers on the field. That's why I'm, I'm all for, you know, the more snap you'd love to have Ryan Watts back, but the more snaps a guy like Malik Muhammad gets, great because you're going to need him next year. But but he can also help you right now. Same thing with Derek Williams. Yeah, I agree with Jake. If for whatever reason Catalan is hurt for an extended period of time, Derek Williams needs to be a guy getting a lot of reps. That's I think he will. Yeah. Have you heard anything about Jake Majors? I feel like we're seeing very different reports out of insider sites, some suggesting it's more of a six to eight week injury. Others saying it's maybe two to three weeks. What are, what are you hearing? It, it's at least going to be a couple of, it's at least going to be a couple of weeks. Jake majors. Okay. So maybe by BYU or Kansas state. I think that's kind of a, a kind of best case scenario. Yeah. And anything on Cole Hudson. Um, hearing he should be back, uh, be back ready to go for the Houston game, which kind of fits the, the timetable. So he steps in for majors at center then. Yeah. And Robertson goes back to backup center. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's good for Con- it's good for Connor to get, you know, 70 something snaps in the OU game. That's going to make him better. I just I don't watch the O-line closely. It's not a position that I understand all that well, but you said on Tuesday that you felt like Connor Robertson did a pretty darn good job considering the position that he was thrust into yeah. the last he, Saturday, right? Yeah, he he held up he held up. I, I've seen I've seen Texas centers do a lot worse in the, in the OU game. 
Yeah, he, he, it he is all relative, and that's a low <laughs> bar from the last 15 years. But he he held his own. He held his own. I thought Connor Robertson actually did did a good job. Um, the Cole Hudson thing excites me though, Trey, because I mean, you know, Jake Majors is in a position. I don't know what Jake has in mind for you know his football future. If if you know pro football, is something he's going to take a run at. But you know, a guy that's graduating that's going to do really big things in the business world. You know, whenever he gets into that that realm, you know, does he? I mean, he's got the option to come back next year, but if he doesn't, man, you're going to need a backup center. And I think you know this these next six games or however long Jake Majors is out for, man, this could be Cole Hudson's audition to where you can say we're fine with Cole Hudson as our our kind of our center of the future, or center better be up there on your needs in the portal this is a big that's a big time for cole hudson because this is jake majors last year he's he he could come back next year he's got the option to but you know there's a there maybe he decides not to come back maybe he decides that he's just you know kind of ready to move on with whatever's next hmm. and some guys do that i mean you look at jake he's uh this will be what his fourth yeah this will be his fourth full year you know, he's got the covid year if he wants it, so he okay. couldn't get he he wouldn't be able to get an extra year with a red shirt because he's played in you know five or yeah six games. I am thankful that we're almost out of the COVID era of eligibility. That's such this a it's just gotten so confusing. You know the sport where it really kills you. Basketball doesn't really matter that much because there's so much turnover in basketball anyway, yeah. and guys don't stay there long. Do with baseball, it is such a cluster to figure out guys' eligibility. Hmm. Baseball is really where it, it kills you. But again, most of those guys are, I think Texas is pretty much cycled out of most of those guys. There might be a couple, couple stragglers left that were here in 2020. But So we talked about what we may see differently on defense after the break for Texas. Do you think we see much different on offense? I mean, from a personnel standpoint? Yeah. Other than maybe a little more Jontae Cook? Think a little bit more. I, I would like to see a little bit more John Tate Cook at this point. And I think that lights a fire under should light a fire under those those three guys because it, it's crazy. Xavier Worthy has been the most consistent receiver on this team, and it's and that's not even close. I mean, his his catch percentage. I mean, he was catching. Let me pull this up. He's catching Trey about seventy seven percent of the targets he's getting right now. That's good because dropsies were an issue for him these last couple of years. And I know he had the yeah. bruise slash broken hand to lean on in 22, but it was an issue in 21 as well. Um, yeah, his actually his reception percentage right now, 77.3, 44 targets. And I'm looking at pro football focus, 44 targets, 34 receptions. That would shatter his career high, which was 60.2 in 2021. Last year, he was at 52.2%, 113 targets only 59 catches. So he's been remarkably consistent this year. Um, I think you kind of know what you're going to get out of Jordan Whittington. Whenever you're ready to go to him, he'll be, he'll be ready. Um, but man, you know, if, if AD Mitchell still has issues blocking on perimeter screens, the threat of putting Jonte cook in the game, that should, that should light a fire under. Him. Yeah. Know, and his, his half-assed effort at blocking was a problem last weekend. And I, I think too, man, Jake in the chat mentions Gunnar Helm. You know, there's a possibility maybe, you know, they decide to sit Jatavian Sanders against Houston just to make sure that he's fully healed. He's got two full weeks to heal that ankle, which clearly wasn't 
against OU. I get it that gamers want to play in games like that. He was his presence was a bit of a detriment to Texas after a while on Saturday. I, I just think well, and and I mean we we were we heard he didn't practice all week, which I mean JT from a game plan standpoint doesn't need to practice as much as maybe some other guys would, but still you're putting a guy in cold and you're kind of just hoping that ankle holds up. Right. And, and it really didn't. I mean, it was not his best day, but I mean, look, if he sits out against Houston, Gunnar Helm should have the confidence of the staff that, Hey, we can roll with Gunnar Helm as as tight end one and be okay. And, you know, again, I'm not thinking too far into 2024 because you're still competing for a, a, a conference championship right now. and maybe more. But thinking about next year, man, if JT goes pro, maybe the, the the rush to go into the portal and get a tight end isn't as urgent because you've got Gunnar Helm. You might go in and get one anyway, but I think the staff would feel good with Gunnar Helm as their number one tight end in 24. They should anyway. So the other two tight ends on the roster right now are Ogbo and Juan Davis. We haven't hardly seen any of Juan Davis. You have Malik Ogbo in the 6-0 package. And then, you know, the two kids they took uh, in the 23 class, Will Randall and, and Spencer Shannon, we knew we knew they were going to register it anyway. Right. So. Will Randall coming off of a serious knee injury. I don't even know what the reports are on him. I, don't, I Honestly, I don't care that much right <laughs> now. But, uh, I don't. I don't want to speak for all the all the all the sites in my realm, but I don't think uh, reporting on redshirt freshman tight ends are top of mind for for any of us. Good. I'm glad you guys at Horns 24 seven. You you have that line that you're like, you know what? This is just a line that we don't care to cross here. But you know, I, I will ask Sark on Monday about were there any of the you know, the developmental guys that stood out to him during the bye week because he wanted to get a look at some of those guys. So I mean, also, did a did a Trevor Gooseby or somebody like that jump out? I also hope that they tried out punt returners because I'm sick and tired of watching Xavier Worthy let the ball hit the turf when he just needs to run up and fair catch a ball. Dude, they're they're like like I said, I I don't have a dog in the fight except the OU game where I get borderline unprofessional with some of my press box conduct. But uh, so I don't have a dog in the fight, but. Dude, my sphincter gets puckered when Xavier Worthy's back on a punt return. He, man, looks, he looks nervous back there. It, it's not that. It's just, dude, you're playing stuff off, off the second hop and on the roll. It's like, dude, you are you play with fire enough, man. You're going to get burned. And it's just, oh, it just makes you it makes you nervous watching it. I'll throw Jonte Cook's name into the ring. Like, give that guy an opportunity. Maybe And maybe that's, maybe that's where you put him. Maybe that's where you can get Jordan Whittington more involved. You know, I don't know. But then Whittington, Whittington had an issue with that against Baylor, too. So. Yeah, I'm reluctant to go with Whittington just based on him fumbling. I guess he never even really caught the ball. Him letting the ball hit off the sh- his shoulder pads because he tried to back up and make a j- jumping catch on a punt. That's not the ideal way to try and field a punt. No, I, I learned uh, watching old NFL film clips of Bill Parcells coaching guys on punt returns. The one mistake punt returners make is not locating the ball and running to the spot. Yeah. Most of your most of your muffs and your fumbles on punt returns happens when a guy's is trying to track it like he's tracking a fly ball in baseball. Like, no, just get to the spot, settle under it, and then judge where it is from there. Oh, that's interesting. See, I wonder if Xavier Worthy has a pro- a hard time knowing where the ball is going to land then. Some, some guys, it, it's Wayne McGarity explained this to me 
when I, I'm still a football novice. A lot of the people I talk to, they've forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But I asked Wayne, like, what is the difference between, you know, returning kickoffs and returning punts? Because Wayne returned punts in the NFL was really good at it. And he said, I mean, straight line guys can return kickoffs because the ball's just going end over end and like it normally should. And mm-hmm. you can catch it and, you know, it, it, your guys with speed, they all factor in there. Punts are harder because of the way the ball spins. The trajectory is not given. It could go left. It could go right. It could be straight. It could tail off at the end. So you got to have somebody that can really track it and, and understands the movement of the ball. And not all guys can do that. I think that Xavier Worthy is one of those guys. I watched him two or three weeks ago leave the spot where the ball hit. That's where he started. It's where he was standing yeah. at first. The punt went to that spot, and he was like 10 yards away when it hit the turf. And, and you got to have – there's got to be some kind of balance between, you know, having having nuts the size of grapefruits and maybe being a little bit crazy as a punt returner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it's a business decision whenever Xavier Worthy is not trying to catch a punt in traffic. I completely understand. He does not need punt returner no. on his resume to be a potential first-round pick in the NFL draft come April or even a couple of years if he decides to stick around for one more year, which he's probably not. That's why, I mean, he didn't do it a ton at Texas. That's why I love Quandre Diggs on punt returns. Yeah. I love Quandre as a punt returner because I'm like, you want, you want a dude that that's going to be back there with pretty much no fear. Yeah. Put, put Quandre back there. He'll, he'll operate from a, from a no fear standpoint. He was such a gamer and you are also a gamer, sir. We are at the end of our two hours. Thank you as always for the great conversation, man. Uh, I really do have fun with this stuff, Trey. I'm glad we've got this three to five block on Friday. We're normally, you know, we're talking about a UT game, you know, getting ready for whatever, but, um, stand up comedy or, cooking or whatever comes up man it's good to get good to get the happy hour started for some people i enjoy these conversations with you like i do kd like i do with bk as well it is always a pleasure my friend have a great weekend okay yep trey you do the same thank you to everybody who has tuned in this week we do appreciate it if you did like any part of today's shows please click that thumbs up button if you're watching on youtube right now and as always do subscribe to the on texas football youtube channel and tell your friends to do so as well For Jeff Howe and everybody else here at Texas Sports Unfiltered, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will talk with you on Monday, bright and early, 8 a.m. with Bucky and BK. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend and hook them.